Good morning. Who are we studying right now? Moses. There you go. Exodus chapter 17. Continuing in our character studies in the Old Testament. Message number five on Moses. We're going to look at his role as a leader today. And we're going to look at uh, the Israelites' role as followers. We're going to learn some lessons from both. Exodus 17. Uh, we're just going to read four verses here, beginning in verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. We're going to title this Lessons on Leading and Following. Or, It Ain't Easy Being a Shepherd. Last week we saw the growth of Moses. You remember, he had an auspicious beginning. Uh, in his humility, he was so humble, he decided he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do because he was incapable. But there's good news, as we saw last week. Wasn't it wonderful how you can see Moses grow page after page until when he's done, the humility is coupled with an incredible confidence and faith in God. That's when humility is an asset. And in fact, uh, it's important, it's, not, it's, it's indispensable for a leader. True humility coupled with a firm reliance and trust in God. Okay, those, they have to go together. If you have the humility that Moses started out with, which is not coupled with a firm reliance in God, it's just pride. Right? It's, it's upside down pride. I can't do it. You know, I'm a failure. God can't even help me. That's wrong. But uh, God, by his patience, brought Moses to the point to where he, he was really trusting in the Lord and still a humble person. That's not always the case. Sometimes when people have done a few things for the Lord, pride begins to set in. But that wasn't the case with Moses. So that's the first thing I want to focus on this morning uh, in Moses, looking at him as a leader, is his humility. Uh, in fact... We have uh, some wonderful examples in Scripture. It's interesting to me. I don't know if you ever noticed this. When people uh, first take on responsibility as a leader, it, it can be anything. Uh, a president of the U.S. or uh, an elder, um, a boss in a company. They have one, or, one of two reactions, typically. Uh, a person will often, when they realize the responsibility that is now upon them, will act like, react like Moses. You know? They suddenly realize the weight of responsibility they have. And they sense their own weakness. That's good. Okay? Because it can cause us to cry out to God for help. And on the other hand, you, you have people who 
when they take on a responsibility, particularly some kind of uh, responsibility over people, power, uh, it has the opposite effect. And that is uh, they see it as an opportunity to exercise their power. And you see pride and, uh, and arrogance set in. We have two wonderful examples from the, from the book of uh, First Kings. The first one is Solomon. This is a good example. Listen to this. Solomon is now king of Israel. And is, uh, you know, he's been seeing it from the outside. His dad, uh, David, has been king, you know, and so he kind of sees it second, second hand. But now, all of a sudden, he's king. And it begins to descend on him. Oh, boy, you know. Now it's on me. And so we have this wonderful passage. It says that Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. He's talking about himself. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. Isn't that good? Solomon had the right attitude. It's, not, it's okay to say, uh, this job's too great for me, as long as it's coupled with a, cry, a crying out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. That's what the Lord wants. On the other hand, in the same book, First Kings, it's interesting how God records these two events of another man coming into power, and as, as the day is approaching and he realizes um, the responsibility that's come on him, it's the other reaction I talked about. This is Rehoboam. Here's what he does. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? He's talking about the Israelites. The Israelites had come to him and they said, you know, please lighten the yoke of your father Solomon. Solomon started out meek but it, 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 as time went on he he kind of uh, took advantage of his power and so the people have come and appealed to rehoboam you know lighten up so uh the elders older guys okay uh when rehoboam went to him they said if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them then they will be your servants forever but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? 
Well, you'll find out what they said. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. What a contrast in the same book. And as with Rehoboam, this kind of a leader will... Uh, lead himself and his people to disaster so you have the two kinds and uh, praise the lord moses was the first kind in fact uh, much later in his ministry we're going to see it in a little bit in numbers it ha- there's this wonderful statement now the man moses was very humble more than all men who are on the face of the earth this is a guy that's leading a nation and he's the most humble guy in the- man that what a perfect leader huh that's the kind of guy you could trust you know, uh, now that we're on this subject, by the way, our president elect is at this point right now in his life. Uh, it's descending on him. The campaign's over. The speeches are done. And he's finding out right now what it means to be president of the leading nation of the world. Pray for him. Uh, if ever there's a time he needs your prayers, it's right now. Pray for him that he would be like Moses in the positive sense, realizing he's not up to the task and that he might cry out to the Lord for help. This is the time. Okay, uh, now we're going to get into Moses' relationship with the people. And as most of you know, it's a roller coaster ride. Up one day and down the next. We're not going to read all the passages. There's just too many of them. But I'll summarize the first few and, and you'll get the idea. Uh, you remember, uh, you're still in Exodus 17, right? Stay there. We're going to get there in a minute. Back in chapter 4, where the honeymoon had begun, and uh, Moses is safe. He's got his brother Aaron doing all the talking for him, and he, and he does the, the miracle before the people, and the pe- people just love it, and they're praising the Lord, and they love Moses, and Moses is happy, and everything's wonderful. Less than a chapter later, as you remember, now they're making bricks without straw, and they are... Uh, the honeymoon is over. They've lost their interest in Moses. In fact, uh, they seriously uh, criticize him. And poor Moses is all depressed. Then, after the miracles, they, they uh, leave Egypt. They plunder Egypt. It's incredible, isn't it? The greatest armies in the world couldn't do it. God did it in a great way. And the people went out just asking their neighbors for silver and gold. And you remember, uh, God tells us that the neighbors said, Here, take it. Just go, you know. God did that. They plundered Egypt. And they're all excited. Praise the Lord, you know. Our slavery is over. We're rich beyond uh, measure and we're heading for the promised land. We're up again. Well, a few days later, Pharaoh's army closes in. And they start this uh, refrain that you're going to hear over and over again, better to die. And you brought us out here to kill us. And they're down again. And we saw last week, uh, Moses, praise the Lord, now, even though he was still humble, had a, a great confidence in the Lord. And he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he intervened. And uh, after it was all over, the people are praising the Lord and singing and dancing. They've never felt so good. A little while later, they're out in the wilderness. They're down again. Here's the line. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. You brought us out here to kill us. And so God provided manna for them. 
Moses is learning the lesson that he can't look to the people for his encouragement and support. You remember one of the stipulations that he gave to the Lord, we went over those, was the people have got to support me in this, you know. Uh, he, he needs to understand it ain't going to be that way. He's going to have to look to the Lord. So finally we come here to chapter 17 and uh, you saw the words, here it is again. Uh, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And, and poor Moses goes in and he just cries out to the Lord. He says, they're ready to stone me. What do I do? What can I do with these people? You know? Uh, leadership, I wouldn't call it a burden, but, you know, it is a weight on uh, people who take it seriously. And we as followers can either lighten that burden by encouraging them and trusting them, or we can actually add to it by criticizing and uh, in rebellion and gossip listen to the words of paul it's interesting to me and then in second corinthians where paul lists uh it's really a shopping list of sufferings that he has gone through for christ the one he puts at the end kind of in a category by itself you'll see here he gives the list in labors more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons more frequently in deaths often from the jews five times i received 40 stripes minus one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night and a day i have been in the deep in journeys often in perils of water in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the gentiles in perils of the city in perils of the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil in sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. There it is. And he explains it. He says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? That's the heart of a shepherd, you see. He can't look at a saint and if they're they're suffering or hurting in some way he feels it you know we empathize with each other but a a true shepherd he he just his heart goes out like jesus you know he's moved with compassion and you get enough people with enough uh weakness and and hurting and problems and stumbling and uh uh sin and and and, uh, bad decisions and and trouble and so on and it begins to weigh on a brother And that's what Paul is saying here. On top of it all, I have my deep concern for the churches daily. Pray for your elders. Encourage them. Don't don't add to their burden. Lighten it. But you say, well, wait a minute now. You just got through saying that a, a, a true leader for the Lord needs to look to the Lord for his encouragement and strength. Yeah, that's right. However, a word or a note of appreciation from a believer, or better yet, uh, following their example and counsel doesn't hurt. Okay, uh, let's turn uh, to chapter 32 now of Exodus. Just going to see one more passage here in Exodus, then we're going to spend the rest of our time in Numbers. <clears throat> Exodus 32. Most of you know the passage well. This is the golden calf. 
Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord. And I said, it's amazing that right at this juncture, God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the first two of which have to do with not having other gods before him and not making graven images. And right now, as he speaks down in the camp, that's exactly what they're doing. That's incredible. And God is describing in great detail the plans he has for Aaron as the high priest. Wonderful plans. And at that moment, Aaron is down there carving the golden calf. So, uh, 32, uh, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. This guy's a leader too. Notice how decisive he is. You know, get, gets right to the point. He doesn't mess around. Is that good? Irresponsive. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation. He's uh, really easing into his job quite quickly. And now he's making proclamation. And said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offering bird offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They haven't had such a good time since they left Egypt. Isn't that great? What a contrast. As uh, almost humorous as this passage is, it's really a tragedy. And you know, it's an illustration of something that's been true right from this time right through today. It's amazing how people will follow a false religious leader who will abuse them mislead them lead them to death and they'll follow that guy to death and we know examples in our own country it's incredible and yet you can have the the godliest man who pours his heart out for people and he's bad-mouthed and criticized and ignored you know and overlooked shouldn't be that way but don't worry look as it says about Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. In the end, it's all going to be sorted out. Okay. But here's an example. They hate Moses. In fact, uh, you, you never see them in here when something good happens. Thank, thank you. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Moses, for taking care of us. You never see it. They only complain when something goes wrong. That's all you ever hear. Well... <clears throat> You say, well, come on. I mean, Moses was just hanging in there because he had to. He didn't have any choice. You know, God made him do it. Really? I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse 9, same chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. 
Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your first wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm, which he said he would do to his people. All right, well, first of all, let's get the, the first big question on your mind. You're thinking, wow, is God really going to wipe them out? No, he was not going to wipe them out. Okay. This is very similar to, to the passage in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus uh, was going to heal uh, the Syrophoenician woman. And she pleaded with him and it looked like jesus was being rude to her if you remember you know get out of here i only came to the nation of israel you know uh it's not good to feed the dogs he called her basically a dog and so jesus knew she had wonderful faith but you wouldn't know it unless he brought it out and so he spoke to her that way and every time he did that she came back with a great statement of strong faith well that's what the lord did here the lord could have written and said you know, when the people did all this stuff to Moses, he hung in there. He, he had a great heart for people and he didn't let it bother him. And he never adopted selfish motives. That would have been nice. I like this a lot better. God doesn't just say it. He shows it. Okay. You want to, you want to know if uh, Moses' motives were pure? Look at this passage right here. God said, look, forget these guys. I'll take you. We'll start all over again. You know, it's going to be Moses instead of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There it is, right from God. All he's got to do is say yes. But God knew he wouldn't. And that's why he did. I think it's wonderful. Because now you come away from this, I'll tell you, there, there are no ulterior motives here. Moses has one heart, and that's for the people. You see how he pleaded? I mean, he's got more than one argument that he's bringing up here, and he's appealing to the character of God. He knows God cannot lie. I tell you, a God like this is hard to find. Pure motives. No, no uh, self-interest, you know, no ulterior motives. He's pure. He's rare. He's precious. Why do elders shepherd the flock? Think about their motive. Is it for money? You ain't going to get rich being an elder. <laughs> uh, glory? Well, hardly. In fact, if you've got a glory-seeking elder, he's sinning. The glory belongs to the Lord. It's to be popular. That's it, right? Huh? Why are you laughing? Let me tell you, men who truly love the people of God and have a burning desire for believers to do one thing, and that is to mature in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are like gold. Praise God for our elders. They need your support in every way. I'll tell you, you're not going to find guys like that in the world. You know, you're going to find uh, psychologists and social workers and everybody else who are out to uh, get people to feel good in spite of, you know, God's word and, and his working. To find men who really uh, have a heart for people and trust the word of God, they're like gold. 
an unmixed shepherd's heart. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Paul. It's the heart of Timothy. I love this statement of Paul about Timothy in uh, the, the book of Philippians. He says a very interesting thing about him. He says, I have no one, no one like-minded like Timothy who will sincerely care. That means no other motives. True, honest, pure, just caring for you. Isn't that interesting? Who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own. Talking about the other guys. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Wow, what a statement, huh? Even in those days. It's hard to find a guy who, who, who can't get over that thing of, you know, self, me-ism, pride. You know, look at me. I'm great. I'm a leader. Woo! So when you find a guy who will sincerely care for your state and has the heart of the Lord Jesus, I'll tell you, hang on to him. They're like gold. Okay, now I said we'd end up in numbers, so turn there. Numbers 11. Guess what the Israelites are going to be doing here? The right turn, couple of books. I think you found it. Numbers 11, verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? I have to say it that way because they're whining. (laughs) We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Yum, yum. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. You know where the manna came from, right? The Lord. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bdellium and so on. And they gathered it when it fell down from heaven. Here we go again. Uh, it's interesting that... Um, Church leaders go out of their way to provide alternate food besides the Word of God. You know, preach, what I'm doing right now, preaching the Word, you know that's, that's not unpalatable for most people. I didn't say Christians, I said most people. You know that? It's, it's not popular. I'm called a talking head, okay, by the mega churches. And you don't do that. It's interesting to me, um, today... In a church, I use that with quotes, it's entertainment, not the apostles' teaching that's wanted and that's, and that's delivered. What's interesting is that people who are truly born again starve at the world's dinner table. You can tell, you know. They, lo- they love the preaching of the word. However, if, if you don't have the spirit of God, I'll tell you, this is just so much dry theology. And you go like these guys, yuck, ugh, you know. Listen to this uh, prophecy, which, by the way, is being fulfilled in our very uh, time right now of Paul. I charge you, therefore, speaking to Timothy before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come, and it has, by the way, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
they will heap up i love that heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables we're seeing it right now now notice he says they won't endure sound doctrine he doesn't say they're going to throw the bible away they'll still use the bible it's the sound doctrine that they throw away you know you can't throw the bible away i mean after all we're christians right you've got to use the bible somehow and it's interesting to me i've read about a lot of these mega churches uh that go out and they and they pride themselves they use wall street tactics they go out and do surveys phone surveys door to door uh to find out what people want isn't that good you know it's called marketing that's the way you're supposed to do it you know i could have saved them the trouble you could have come to me i'll tell you how you can do it just go down find out what are the most popular dvds you know the the highest rated movies uh what are the best nightclub acts at vegas that's what people want okay you don't have to do a big survey it's real easy they want a stand-up comic a guy who tells great jokes so that he competes with the guys in vegas gotta be good they want drama i mean real drama with good actors costumes sets okay real life situations realistic scripts that includes profanity unfortunately but we've got to be realistic and of course to top it off great music melodies rhythms professional singers words this is important that are soothing and comforting it's okay to talk about sacrificial living as long as it's jesus is doing it and not me in fact that applies to all the performances they have to meet a very high standard of professionalism and digestibility so that the audience is sent away with the same feeling they get after a good concert i'm okay with everybody including god make it palatable so it goes down easy in other words yeah they abandon the bible praise the lord calvary bible chapel is not just a name it means something talks about what we do here the this manna from god i'll tell you gets sweeter for those who really love jesus every day isn't that right praise god okay uh numbers 11 verse 25 then the lord came down in the cloud and spoke to moses moses has uh, gone before the lord and i don't blame the guy the burden is really getting great on him and so he says look i need help and so god says all right set out 70 men that uh are faithful men and will uh, put the spirit that's on you on them and they'll be able to help you so that's what's going on here uh and he spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders and it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied although they never did so again but two men had remained in the camp the name of one was eldad and the name of the other was medad and the spirit rested upon them now they were among those listed but had not gone out to the tabernacle yet they prophesied in the camp they missed the roll call okay there was this list of names these guys were supposed to go out with everybody else somehow they missed it and so they're still back in the camp but when God poured down his spirit on the 70, there are 68 over there with Moses, and there's two 
in the camp. And so they're over there prophesying in the middle of the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses said, Edad, pardon me, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Two things we learn about Moses here. First of all, he's not afraid to delegate. You know, I've seen churches where uh, you get men, they start out young men in uh, leadership over the church. And as time goes on, they just don't want to let go of those reins, you know, and they get older and older and they start having heart attacks and, and what else? And they just, it's hard for them to let go. And then they die. And guess what else dies? The church. Shouldn't be that way. Moses wasn't like that. He saw these guys now, they're not rivals in his, in his view. Praise God. You know? Because we saw his heart already. He wants to see the, the whole congregation raised up for the Lord. In fact, I, I couldn't put it better. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Praise God. That's what he wants. That's his vision. And that's the second point that we see. He has a deep desire to see all of God's people spiritually mature. Reminds us of John. I love that phrase. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's, that's what he lives for. And that's Moses. Okay, next chapter. Chapter 12. This is the passage that, uh, one of the passages that Michael preached on, so we're not going to go through the whole thing, where Miriam, you remember, and Aaron came and said, hey, is, is Moses the only prophet around here? What about us? Remember that? We'll just read the first four verses. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. You say, what has this got to do with this passage? Well, they're looking for something that they can criticize Moses with. Get ready. Okay, one of the one of the many uh, perks of being an elder, people look for something to find fault with. And so, by the way, the law hasn't been given yet, so there's nothing wrong with him marrying this Ethiopian woman at this point. All right. But she's a foreigner. And so they're going to use that. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. I love that. It's kind of like, you know, two kids fighting in the other room with the door closed. But uh, mom and dad hear what's going on. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. I like this verse four. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. What does it sound like? You know, uh, <coughs> kids, come out here. Somebody's going to be in trouble. If we were to read on, the reason I love this passage, among other things, is because we're not going to be able to find anything here uh, that Moses says until verse 13. He doesn't say a word. Listen, how do we typically react when somebody starts accusing us, you know? You've you got to speak up. You've got to defend yourself. Moses doesn't say a word. Isn't that good? 
He lets the Lord do the talking. And of course, he strikes uh, Miriam with leprosy. And then Moses speaks. Listen. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, and I can just hear the emotion and the, and the heart-wrenching appeal here. Please heal her, O God, I pray. That's the first words he says. Nothing about, you know, man, here she is, my sister. Look what she's doing to me. You know? He intercedes for them. Okay, um, Numbers 14 now. We're not skipping a lot there. There's actually a lot of genealogy there. Uh, the only interesting thing that's happened is that uh, Moses has sent the spies into the land to check it out beforehand. By the way, we find out from other passages that that was apparently the people's idea originally, not, not the Lord. There's no need to go in and check it out. God said you're going to take it. But uh, they come, you know the story, they come back, oh, there's giants in the land, there's no way. Ten out of twelve say that. Two out of twelve, bless their hearts. Caleb and Joshua say, hey, no problem, the Lord is with us. Right? So, uh, get ready now, hold on to your seats, because we're going to follow the Israelites here in their reaction. Chapter 14. So, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. They they probably have a melody for this by now. They've said it so many times. (laughs) All the ways they can die, you know, hunger, thirst. Now we've got going into the promised land and getting beat up. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and children should become victims, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Wow. Uh, How do you think that makes Moses feel? Wow. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Okay. Wow. Uh, It's interesting that at this juncture, you'd think Moses would throw in the towel. You know? Would you? (laughs) I'd, I'd really think seriously about it. You know? Look what God does. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? Notice, by the way, very significant. When they're rejecting God's man, who are they rejecting? That's exactly correct. And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. 
I'll tell you, that's got to sound awfully good right now. What does Moses do? And Moses said to the Lord, he doesn't hesitate. Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. That you, Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation, Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Now, there's the heart of a shepherd. It's interesting to me that the first attribute he refers to in that list in 17 and 18 is the power of God. Because it's going to take a lot of power to do this much forgiving. You know? Well, I think that... that, uh, comments for itself there I, we've been having examples to avoid and examples to follow here we have an example to follow and an example to avoid okay uh chapter 14 <clears throat> verse 39 god pronounces judgment as you know on the people everyone above the age of 20 is going to perish in the wilderness while they wander around for 40 years with moses Remember that? They hear that. And so they uh, get it in their minds. Now's the time to obey. Verse 39. Then Moses told these words to all the children. That is that all the people over 20 are going to perish in the wilderness. And the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are. And we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Isn't that good? It's too late. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Isn't it interesting that the dire predictions they made about falling by the sword if they followed the Lord happened when they did it their way? You know? Okay, well, it's, it, when I read those words, it's just, it, it's almost laughable. Here we are, you know, but it's so tragic and true. And the lesson here is, listen, the window of, of obedience is often very small. Okay, obedience means now. <laughs> Our, my kids are nodding because they learned that at home. I know I've told the parrot story before, but there's probably a few in the audience that haven't heard it. Um, long time ago, 
over 30 years ago. One of the young fellows I was discipling, uh, he, was, he was a dear brother, loved the Lord, but he had a little problem with impulse purchases. And he went out one day and he spent $200 on a parrot. He didn't have the money, really, to purchase. It was like his last penny. And that was a lot of money in those days. And um, we, we met that week and, and it came out. I didn't really have to say a lot because he knew he, he should take that parrot back or, or sell it somehow, you know. So uh, we, we came to that point. And he's okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put an ad in the paper. We got together next week. Still hadn't put the ad in the paper. So we talked about it some more, you know, stressing the importance. Obedience means now, you know, he waited another week. I can't remember how many weeks it was, but uh, I do remember one of the weeks he came in. Boy, I'll tell you, you about a long face. I said, you put the ad in the paper yet? He said, no. I said, why not? The parrot's dead. I understand parrots are supposed to live like 50 or 100 years, right? <laughs> and this parrot was not 50 years old when he got it. The Lord was teaching us something. And he really, he was a dear brother. He, he went on to really serve God in a great way. But we used to use that line, remember the parrot. You know, like remember the Alamo, remember the Maine. In this case, it was remember the parrot. When you're given godly counsel, follow it now. That's simple. <clears throat> okay, last passage here. Chapter 27. <clears throat> We're going to skip the, the passage. We might look at it like, uh, last week. I'm not sure. We're, last week is two uh, messages from now. <clears throat> but uh, the passage I'm referring to, of course, is when Moses sins in striking the rock, when God told him only to speak to it. And as a result, by the way, listen, think of all the stuff the Israelites have done, and God has been patient with them. Moses does one thing he strikes the rock and god says okay that's it you're not going to the promised land let not many of you be be teachers okay or leaders because knowing we shall receive the the severer judgment okay so moses is not going can you imagine that how does that guy feel can you imagine god first speaks to him he says i'm gonna i'm gonna take my by the way you'll go back you'll never find that god says you will go into the promised land it's interesting because he knows he's not but he doesn't tell him that but he, but he comes and he says, I'm going to uh, fulfill the promises. It's time to take the people into the land. Think of Moses, you know, uh, 40 years after first uh, realizing he's going to, be, going to be doing something for God. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And for 40 years, he's a shepherd, learns humility on the backside of the desert, comes back. Uh, who am I? You know, all of that. And finally, he, he sees God use him. And now he's leading the people and they get on. They go through the wilderness 40 more years. 80 years you know but praise god he's been called to take the people to that place that they've heard so much about and now he's not going not going to go they're going to be a lot of israelites that are going everybody under the age of 20 you know that survived the wilderness they're going to go and they're going to see it they're going to live there they're going to build houses they're going to have land they're going to see the lord work in a great way moses is not going to see any of that all gone and so you know, you'd expect maybe a little poor meism, you know. Well, if that's it, I might as well just uh, hang up the old staff, you know. I'll retire. Let's bring Joshua in here early. Chapter 27, <clears throat> verse 12. 
Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. You can look at it, but you're not going to go there. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. By the way, this is a righteous judgment. God is righteous. Okay, God's not being unfair here. How does Moses respond? Verse 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is a spirit, and lay your hand on him. There he is, a shepherd to the end. And it's remarkable to me, there's been several times when Moses has spoken, really uttered the words of the Lord Jesus. Here it is again. Remember, Jesus said that, didn't he? You know, it says that about him. It says he, he had compassion on the multitude when he looked out on them in Matthew 9, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the way Moses saw them when he was gone. Not himself, it was them again that he was concerned about. Well, as we said before, it ain't easy being a shepherd. So the next time you're tempted to criticize or second-guess the elders, pray for them. In fact, uh, pray for them anyway. Pray for them all the time. Encourage them. Application. Well, I'll get it right from the Bible. I couldn't put it any better. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these precious words. Thank you for the example of Moses. We thank you so much, Lord, for those who watch out for our souls. And Lord, we pray that we might, by praying for them, encouraging them with, with a word, with a note, following their counsel, following their example, that we might, by that, make their, jo their job joyous and not grievous, knowing that would be unprofitable for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.